Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Stolen Signs from Baseball Prospectus. I am Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. Hello, Harry. Oh, Kendall, you remembered to say your name this week. I did. So. I, I wrote it down, so I have it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Across. Good job. Thank you. Sounded natural. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was reading from a script. I couldn't even see your, I couldn't even see your lips moving. Yep. Uh, yeah, so this week we are going to be talking some Japanese baseball, specifically Shohei Otani, but also generally um, about Japanese baseball, how, and um, we've got uh, Ben Lindbergh from The Ringer and Kaz Yamasaki from uh, Pitch Info and um, all over BP the place. BP Wrigleyville. BP yeah. Wrigleyville. So uh, we'll be talking with them in just a little bit. So, yeah, we're going to have a whole thing about Japanese baseball and the hot stove season because no one cares about anything but Mike Stanton, which we don't have anything to talk about. I think it's John Carlo now, anyway. John Carlo. Did I say Mike? You did. Uh, I'm slipping up. We'll just edit that out, right? Okay, so, yeah, Not John Carlo Stanton, no one can't. So, no one cares you know, about him because there's nothing to say. We already know. So, we're going to, everybody else is talking about Otani constantly. It's amazing. It's dominated the news. It's like The Bachelor for people like me who don't really know what The Bachelor is about. But apparently there's a thing with roses because I saw a meme of Otani handing roses out. So I'm now more aware of pop culture thanks to Otani. Seems like a thing. Yeah. But we're going to become a lot smarter about Japanese baseball because Kaz. Yeah, and then as, uh, as Castle pointed out a few times, he's not a he has never pitched, <laughs> <laughs> but he seems to know everything else that you would know if you hadn't actually stepped up on a mound there. And right. uh, Ben's with us because uh, you all know Ben Lindbergh from Effectively Wild. He wrote something kind of interesting that we want to talk about, also about Otani, but also Japanese pitchers in general, and a very important statistical lesson. So that's that's. That's episode 14. Yes. So we will be back after a short break, but we also want to say we're on Twitter at stolen underscore signs, and you can email us stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. And we are on iTunes store. Um, rate and review us there. I have something to say about that as well. So I was looking, and we have um, like some five-star, some four-star I think we have one one-star review, and we have a couple two-star reviews. And I was thinking, what would necessitate a two-star? Well, did they write a review? Or they just no, put just a, as, just as rate, star, rating. Just a rating. So I don't know. I would you, give us like two stars. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying that we deserve more, but I am saying that, like, that's kind of like meh. Like kind of that's middle. more than math. No, two is more than two is like no thanks. One is one is bad. One is like this is awful. Yeah, it seems like if you were going to go all the way down to two, you might as well go one. No, that's I mean it's just a level of disdain. Like you like you, you probably th- like I may hear something worse in the future. Like I may hear the sound of like there might be a podcast that's nothing more than just nails on a chalkboard first. So you got to leave that one star because you can't you can't leave a zero star rating. It's like which isn't stupid, right? I mean, I guess it's a one to five scale. That's it. But you can't. So that's it. You have to. You got to leave room. That's why you can't always give out the five. 
That's true. That everything's a five. But then if you don't give a five, that's like automatically considered demerit. Like four is not a positive. Like a four is what did we do wrong? Because we didn't get the five. So two and one, that's bad. We really. Uh, oh well. If you left a, a two star rating, you're a probably not still listening. But if you are, <laughs> if you are for some reason still listening, would you either email us or leave a review on iTunes or something to tell us what's up with that? Because I, I, I just saw that and I thought that's interesting. Um, what what would happen uh, for that? To if, like for me, I would either give like a four or five or a one, uh, and so that that piques my interest. So, um, so yeah, if that's you, someone out there in listener land. Um, let us know. If you gave us one star and you're listening again, why? Why? <laughs> why would you come back? Why would you come back? Thanks for thanks coming for your, back, but why? Yeah, thanks for coming back, but we question your judgment. <laughs> your original judgment, the one star, was probably right. You're coming back, that that and then that starts to bring things into question. Right. So, um, on that note, we'll be, we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll talk with uh, Ben and Kaz. Uh, stick around. They got some money out there giving it away. And we're back. We are talking here with Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer and Kaz Yamasaki, MPB specialist. Thanks for joining us, guys. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We want to talk a little Japanese baseball here specifically around Shohei Otani, but also um, just some other things about Japanese baseball and the posting system. So let's start out there. Um, and can you guys talk maybe a little bit about the, the new changes that are in the posting system for this year and then um, kind of how that's going to change moving forward? Yeah, Kaz, do you do you want to take that, or it's uh, it's your your home turf? So I feel like I should defer. <laughs> okay, so as far as the system went, I liked the old old one, where the teams could pay as much as they wanted. The MLB teams could yeah could pay as much yeah yeah. Then the new old system went where the teams were kept to pay 20 million and then the new one where the NPV teams get a certain amount of money for money depends on the contract I think it works fairly well because players each individual player has different skill set seating upside so yeah, I think if if MLBPA didn't screw had not screwed up last winter it would have worked perfectly for Otani yeah he, it, it, it was strange how clearly the rules in the current CBA were I mean we were we're all aware last winter, right, that Otani was coming. This is not a surprise, yeah. really, but it seemed to have taken the Players Association by surprise for some reason. They suddenly realized when it became real, when he declared his intention to be posted, when he got permission to be posted, that 
they <laughs> weren't happy with the rules that <laughs> they themselves had had a hand in negotiating. So he gets grandfathered in under the $20 million bid system. And then in future years, it'll be that sort of percentage of the contract's total value. So whatever it's it is. It's so with weird the, that they went through the whole process on like under duress to mm-hmm. change, come up with the new sliding. It's like a sliding scale, I think, you know, where right. the percentage goes up and up and down depending on what the player gets. But but all that was not applied to Otani. It was like, okay, hold on, we can't have this guy go through the system yet until we change the system. Okay, we've, we've got a new <laughs> system. All right, cool. Let's go through the old one. <laughs> right. Yeah, so what? What? I mean, does anybody understand why that happened now? <clears throat> well, Could we've like waited till. <clears throat> next winter or any other time other than everybody having to stop and wait like the whole the, like the whole off season seemed to stop right I, I mean i guess the the posting agreement had expired is that right kaz so they needed yeah. to come up with a new agreement and the agreement that they wanted to put in place that they now have in place for future seasons as you said harry you get like 20 percent of a contract for 25 million or less, and then it's 17 and a half percent of a contract that's 25 to 50 million. And then if the contract is 50 million or more, you get 15%. And those are obviously sizable sums for the Japanese team. But in Otani's case, because his case was unique, because he's 23 and he's an international free agent, and we now have hard caps on spending on international free agents. We knew he was not going to get more than the max of, what, $3.5 million, something like that. So if you had had this scale in place, then his team would have gotten very little money because, you know, they would have gotten 20% of $3.5 million or something, which is not what Shohei Otani is worth. Not that they're getting what he's worth as it is, but at least they're getting a little bit more. Yeah, he he, does, he is taking a pay cut. or He could have stayed two years more and... Made a lot more money, but mm-hmm. he wants to be here now. Did you guys see the list that he wrote in high school? No. It's kind of funny, and I I, I sort of predicted this. Where I, when we talked about Otani a few episodes here ago, I said he's probably got like this Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, you know, goal sheet, and he kind of did. But it's really it's like it's weird stuff. Like uh, you know, what, all about pitching accomplishments, getting married, having children. Uh, in, a, in a very specific order and number of gender, and and at age at age thirty eight, stats decline. <laughs> Which is, is perfect, you know. I got it all worked out, but nothing about hitting. Nothing. Huh. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, that that threw that threw me a bit. I was like, there, here's the list of his. Nope, nothing about being a hitting champion. So, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that was too improbable to predict even for him. Yeah. So the posting system was kind of uh, changed, but not changed. I, I, so that makes sense. They had to have something in place, but they were still grandpa. So so basically, his his team, Nippon Ham, they 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 going to maximize their return, relatively speaking. Even though it's not going to be full, but that that's kind of what this kind of benefited them, I guess. So mm-hmm. okay. So anyway, we saw something interesting today on uh, on the interwebs, and something of interest probably to me and Kaz because we see this we see this stuff all the time. Obviously, as we kind of introduced him, <laughs> he works with me on working handling Japanese baseball data. But uh, the good people at Major League Baseball got their hands on some of it too. So uh, and so 
they were able to talk about it publicly. And what they shared was uh, uh, Otani being a guy who had a hundred mile an hour, you know, ball and can throw a ball, and then can also pitch a ball hundred miles an hour. That there were a handful of guys in Major League Baseball who could also do it, and it ranged from you know really good to not good. And I thought that was kind of funny, but it, it raised some questions about what the difference is between uh, Japanese field and ball. In this case, particularly the ball condition, what, what how what what the ball, how different the ball is, and that you can compare the spin rate. Uh, I, I don't. I've never looked at it, and I know what, what stuff that Kaz does for me doesn't really look at spin rates at all. So you could sometimes you should. I, I might need to change that. But uh, is the ball different, Kaz? I mean, substantially because we don't hear about it. You know, I remember people murmured about it when Darvish came over, but it, it seems to be either not different at all, or it just doesn't matter after a pitcher adapts to it. Um, I can't answer that because I've, I've played in either league, so I don't know what the, the balls feel like, uh, how they fit in my hand, how like sticky or slippery or I can, <laughs> I have no idea how. But is the regulation ball different as far as you know? It's like. Because I know there was like something a few years ago where there was a data ball scandal, but the, 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 uh, yeah. But is the ball smaller? Are the seams different? Is there anything you know, like? Is, is this was something that came up on Twitter today where people are asking specifically about the differences in the ball, and it seemed to be. Um. So, it's completely a speculation, but um, if if the big league ball doesn't have seams at all at this point. I think the NPV ball has higher seams. Um, it fits better to uh, to pitcher's fingers and easy easier to grip, I think. I think that is the case where the seams are higher or something. I'm not, I'm not him. Anyone know the rules? <laughs> Ben, ben is supposed to be the expert on the uh, on ball. Yeah. <laughs> only on this continent. I'm only afraid. on this continent. You haven't. Yeah. Looked at, you know, that's a shame because it's a it's a big world. You know. <laughs> I know. I should expand my horizons, but yeah, I I know that. I think this is right, but Kaz oh. can correct me if it's wrong. But I think up until recently, like 2011 or something, yes, NPB teams had all different manufacturers. There were something like nine different suppliers and in theory they were all supposed to conform to the same standards but in practice i'm gonna guess there were some variations here and there and so that's very recent i mean that's you know six years ago and every team was using different brands of, of baseballs so i don't know how the current ball compares i know that going back a few years there was the the juiced ball scandal over there that the commissioner resigned over because they essentially got 13. Yes, I think so. Right. They got <clears throat> caught having juiced the balls without telling anyone. And uh, so, so since then, things may have changed. And I don't know exactly how the current model compares to the current major league model, which itself changes, it seems, very often. Uh, <laughs> apparently. Okay. So um, <clears throat> what Ben said is accurate. Um, 
So up until 2010, teams used different balls from different manufacturers. So obviously, uh, Park adjusted um, adjusted stats. So I don't know, Park factor in each park differed dramatically. Then uh, in 2011, they introduced the new league-wide board, but it was so unjust. Um, one team e- didn't even hit 50 home runs as a team in that season. And the following one, 2012. So the fans and, fans and uh, players all alike complained. So they unjust the board a bit. So that's what I've been <coughs> described as a uh, juiced ball uh, conspiracy or something, uh, which led to the, the commissioner resigning. Yeah, that was that was a big deal. It's, it's, it seems that there's like that. What I can tell is that the ball has changed, not only standardized, but as I think Kendall's pointing out to me, that it's roughly the same size now as yeah. a major league ball. From from what I can find in the internet, which is always a reliable source, um, it, it seems like they're roughly the same size. So, so, so all this talk about the ball being different and can we compare spin rates I, I, and stuff? I'm gonna say I'm gonna guess yes. So yeah. it's probably yeah. You're the uh, one with all the data. You tell yeah, us. Yeah, but I I mean if I had this, if I, if I actually knew the precise answer, which I will, I wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> 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 but I am definitely gonna figure out after this after this uh, recording and and not tell anyone except Kaz. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, Ben, um, you recently had um, the reigning uh, MVP from, uh, was it the Pacific League? Uh, mm-hmm. Dennis uh, Safarte, is that his name? Yes. Yes. And he mentioned um, he he had a few stints in Major League Baseball and then now is, is playing over there. And he mentioned that the mounds were different over there and they were different um, per stadium. And that kind of Mm -hmm. took me a bit by surprise. And then he also mentioned kind of some major league ballparks were different or played differently. At least do, is there, is there not a specification for the mound size either here (laughs) in major league baseball or in the MPB? Well, there's, I know in major league baseball, there's differences. Like they'll, they'll say that. But usually, I think the mounds have gotten better over time, being more consistent. But apparently, the biggest issue in Major League Baseball is differences between, in particular, the visitors' bullpen mound and the game mound. Mm. But it, but one of the things that uh, Safardi was talking about was he was calling it higher. Like it's I I don't necessarily believe the mound is literally more than like basically the top of the pitching rubber is supposed to be ten inches up. And I guess I think that's exactly the same as I, as far as I know in MPB. Um, but so when Safardi's talking about high mounds, I think he's really talking about mounds with a slope. It's like there's a very specific like how the slope is supposed to work. So like uh, where the, his the, foot hits when he lands. Yeah, it's going to feel different because the mound is sloping. So maybe the front of the mound is, is shorter. 
there's something because basically it's slow. It, there's basically a flat panel at the top of the pitching mound where the rubber's kind of set at the center back of it. And then as you step past that, it starts to go down at a certain slope and then it flattens out at the bottom. And if you don't, you know, and it's the same to the sides and to the back, it's like a specific shape. So even so when he's talking about a high mound, I was wondering, you know, and then he mentioned Otani and it being a cement, a high cement mound. I was like, well, wow, what, what is he, what is he talking about? I mean, so, <laughs> Cass, yeah. is that really something noticeable <laughs> in MPB where the mounds are different or is it similar to just what we think for major league baseball where some are a little steeper than others? Um, I've never stood on, uh, yeah, we know that, (laughs) (laughs) but what's the conventional wisdom? Is it like, was was that, was that something you've heard before or noticed? Um, not the mound itself, but, um, I've seen pictures of the playing surface itself, um, at Sapporo Dome, which, uh, is the home of the Nippon Ham Fighters. So it's a um, um, multi-purpose facility. So they hold baseball matches, soccer matches, and concerts. And uh, the base is like hard concrete. Then when they play baseball there, they put this tiny thin layer of atrocious turf on it. So. <laughs> It sounds like how used to be. Wasn't Toronto like, or had a really hard turf, and they changed it recently? I don't remember, but mm-hmm. that's a. That's yeah. Because he mentioned like the cement mound. I was like, what is he talking about? <laughs> like, imagine right. this like, this yes. like thin layer of dirt over a bunch of cinder blocks piled up, like you know. Yes, Sarfate said he actually prefers a low mound, and so I assumed that he was talking about. As you're saying, maybe the slope of it more so than the height, because usually you you presume that a a higher mound favors a pitcher. I guess that could vary pitcher to pitcher, but obviously the higher you are, you're throwing to the same target, so you get that downhill angle, which could be helpful. So I don't know whether he met the slope or the height, but I'm going to guess the slope, and I don't know whether maybe the, the mounds there are not quite as standardized as the mounds here. I'm not sure whether that lack of standardization in the ball until recently extends to the mounds as well, but he seemed to think there was a noticeable difference in that he pitches significantly better in certain parks that have the kind of low mound he likes. That may have to rent Kaz some like uh, laser surveying gear, send him <laughs> to a few parks and get some measurements. <laughs> <laughs> It's because so, it's all this stuff about it. there's this big transition, you know, like it's this bit, it's different. The ball's different, the mounts, but it's, you know, the guys who come over seem to just perform pretty well. And I know that this is something Ben and, you know, you and I talked about this week because you wrote about it, mm-hmm. uh, that this idea that the pitchers who come over are at the end of their career, this is totally obviously not applicable to Otani because he's so young, mm-hmm. but I think it was the, you know, pitchers at the end of their career, so they're going to be in decline. But this was, I think, presented at one point, you know, which is what got the impetus for your story, I believe, uh, as a more general rule applying to the young, perhaps. Yeah, this is apparently a pretty widespread perception. And Joe Sheehan wrote about it in his newsletter last week. And Joe's great. I subscribe to his newsletter. I recommend it. But this particular argument was about how Otani might be riskier than, say, a a pitcher who has not had that NPB background because 
as Joe put it, there's kind of a track record of NPB starters coming over and being good for a year, two years, and then falling off a cliff. And I went looking for previous instances of this argument, and they're definitely out there. There's a a Joel Sherman article essentially arguing the same thing, a big Tom Berducci piece in Sports Illustrated when Darvish was coming over, and, and he made exactly the same argument. And he cited, he said, Red Sox analysts when they had been preparing to sign Matsuzaka, they had concluded that there was a big drop-off after the second year, and he was quoting various executives that you've heard of who were acknowledging that this is a thing and speculating about Name why it's a thing. brand executives? Not, yeah. not, not, not some of those store brand? <laughs> no, and not the <laughs> like, anonymous kind either. Like, like Jerry Depote. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and evidently people seem to believe this, and I guess they believe it because... There are some notable examples of guys who have tailed off after a first couple of years. Obviously, Hideo Nomo lasted a long time and was a, a workhorse for a while, but he was a, a back-to-back fourth-place Cy Young finisher in his first two years in the majors, and after I, that, he was a below-average pitcher. When he threw a no-hitter, I've never really <laughs> Sorry about that. that. Yeah, sure it's that only been like stinks. 20 years, and I'm still <laughs> complaining about it. <laughs> Yeah, and then obviously Matsuzaka was good for two years and then got hurt and was not good. And we've seen other guys, Tanaka, Darvish, have had elbow injuries and been diminished in certain ways. So there's this fairly widespread idea that this is a thing about NPB pitchers and that maybe it has something to do with all of these differences between the leagues and the fact that you're going from pitching one day a week to pitching every five days and different conditioning, different workloads at a young age, on and on. Lots of theories for why this should be so, except that it isn't so. As far as I can determine, there's no evidence that this is actually true. And the thing that all those previous arguments were lacking was any kind of control group. So they would say, here's the group of NPB pitchers. Here's what they did in their first year in the majors. Here's what they did in their second year in the majors. Here's what they did in years three, four, five, six. And Obviously, they decline over time because they are human beings and pitchers, and that's what happens to all pitchers. But there wasn't any attempt to show that the NPB pitchers dropped off more quickly than anyone else did. And so, so what you're saying is after a thousand innings on any continent, yes, you may only have a couple years of really quality left in your arm. That, right. That's that's a major breakthrough. Or yeah, I mean, you're not even the Pulitzer. <laughs> be the Saber Award now, yeah. yeah we'll so, right <laughs> I mean, yeah. So uh, it's not even a thousand innings, right? There's a lot of research that yeah. shows that pitchers get worse almost from the first day they make the majors in some cases. So a, a, a very smart baseball executive pointed out to me that Tim Lincecum's velocity peaked in high school. Yeah, that right. they never measured a faster pitch from him outside of high school, and he's like, "That's you know." That's baseball. Yeah. Not everybody's Nolan Ryan. Yeah. So I came up with this comparison group, and for each NPB starter who came over, I looked for guys who were roughly the same age in either the same year or the year before or after who had a very similar season, like a war within a win of the NPB guys or innings pitched within 20 innings in either direction. And then I just looked to see how those guys aged in comparison to the Japanese pitchers. And it turned out that the NPB pitchers actually aged better than the non-NPB pitchers. So not only is there no evidence that NPB pitchers age worse, it seems, if anything, that the opposite is true. And, you know, for every 
guy who kind of dropped off very quickly. There's the Hiroki Kuroda, who was awesome until he was in his 40s. And for every guy who did hold up, who was not an NPB pitcher, like if you look at, I think it was Matsuzaka's comp group, it included guys like CeCe Sabathia and Dan Heron, guys who held up for a while as Matsuzaka was really tailing off. But then it also included... Eric Bedard and Jeff Francis and Chiming Wong and Carl Zambrano and John Garland and Rich Hill, who, you know, bounced back evidently yeah, that's eventually, like, but many years later. Story, yeah. Right. So anyway, I think the point is that we remember the NPB pitchers because it's such a small group of guys who've come over even now. We remember the ones who burned out pretty quickly. And maybe we don't remember the fact that on average, they were like 29 years old when they came over. So we think of them as rookies, but they are not rookies in any kind of real sense. And so I think we remember those guys who declined quickly and we don't remember that, hey, everyone declines quickly. And so I don't think there's any reason to worry about NPB pitchers dropping off more than anyone else. And especially in Otani's case, since he is younger than all of the previous NPB guys who've come over with his sort of experience. An important lesson in, ha- in having a control group. Yes. Um, in addition to his youth, uh, Otani didn't have much workload in high school. His, um, his coach developed him really conservatively and saved his arm from um, heavy workload. He's being sidelined for much of 2017 father saved his arm, I think. Is that standard? Um, like, so for like a high school pitcher to uh, be very conservative with their development, or is that something that was special, like a special case for Otani? Um, it's rather the, a special case for Otani. Um, so for in Matsuzaka's case, he threw more than one, no, 800 pitches in 10 days or so in Koshien. And, um, and Koshien is the big yeah. annual high school tournament, <clears throat> which it's it could to, for American sportsmen, I think the closest comparison is the NCAA basketball tournament in terms of being an amateur event of massive significance and interest at a national level. Yes, so um, in one year, Matsuzaka threw a 17-inning complete game on 250 pitches. But Otani avoided this, because this is something I have definitely heard of with these pitchers. I think it's an annual right for Keith Law to tweet about pitcher abuse during this. And it's usually some shocking number where a kid pitches two days in a row and, you know, never, never makes it pro. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, but it's, 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 I, I, I didn't even think about that in terms of Otani. So glad to hear that he didn't go through that type of. Yeah, for sure. Quasi abusive. And if he, he does for the part as a pitcher, he has a steady backup plan. not every pitcher has that (laughs) yeah (laughs) so Kes how would you evaluate him as a as a hitter he he has four plus plus tools and one below average tool 
something like um Doryu Stubbs in 2010. Like he's um he's a legit 80 runner and he's got almost 80 power, 80 low power then uh of obviously um is 80 or so then so they're talking we're seriously talking about a guy with 380 cool. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and obviously so if he sticks to to hitting um i think he could handle center field pretty well he has the instincts and the athleticism and the biggest concern is uh the ability to make contact but um he's got edit hand eye coordination and can make adjustments but i don't really see him being something like uh him resembling tony green or weight boxing in any sense <laughs> <laughs> there's some swing and miss i mean he's a, yeah he's a big guy right I mean, he's kind of tall and has a longer swing so there's also some swing and hit the roof so. yes there's <laughs> There seems to be a yeah, lot of. Yeah, I saw that in person. <laughs> How? Uh, okay, so who is? I mean, have you seen anyone hit a ball harder than him? Um, no. Um, I had no idea what was going on <laughs> when that happened. So, is he more likely to get MVP votes as a batter or as a pitcher? Uh, like if he was strictly a batter or strictly a, a pitcher, what do you think? Anybody? I mean, the tendency, the voting tendency is uh, to vote for position players. So, yeah, but if he was a full-time <laughs> position player, would he be an MVP candidate? Uh, in is his he prime, more like, or is he more prime, likely? To he wants to do both, which seems. Yeah. I don't know if that will be. That's gonna be hard. I mean, he's young now. I mean, like the rigors of of preparing and doing both of those jobs. 162 games, maybe playoffs. Yeah, when you're 22, 23, that's one thing. But when he's 28, 29, that might not be the same. When he's 32, 33, it's not going to be the same. And at his magical point of 38, when his stats start to drop. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, I wasted a lot of time on my NPB aging study. I should have just cited Shohei Otani's note. About aging when you're 38. Yeah, it's just a simple cliff. No curve. All right, so I think we have other questions, but I think we're going to leave those for Kaz and uh, allow Ben to slide away from us for the evening. So we'll move on from Otani into other topics of NPP. So thank you, Ben, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, you, have your own, you have your own podcast, right? I do. This is not my first Baseball Prospectus podcast. I've done a few in my day, but, uh, <laughs> but it's it's been a little while, so it's nice to be back. Well, it's good to have you back on BP Soundwaves. Coming back, everybody. We are now going to talk with just cause about some MPB and Japanese baseball specific things. So yeah, we've got. Uh, it's not just Otani. 
is the, I mean, obviously everybody's talking about him for good reason, but Miles um, Mikolas, just sort of Mikolas, Mikolas. <laughs> Mikolas. Mikolas. He's Greek. It's a Greek name. I should be able to pronounce it correctly, but I'm, I'm not. But yeah, he's, he was really good over there. <laughs> so did he get better or, you know, I mean, did you get to see him pitch when he was, was, when he was? Um, in person? No. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, I saw him one time. I think he's like a sinker slider guy, so I don't know if you know. Um, I honestly don't know much that much about him, even though he pitched over here for quite a while. So he, from my um memory, um, taking a look at him, he was relying heavily on um, knuckle curve, uh, and he was pounding. T- Zone with the curve and was really effective. Oh, so that's that, that's an attractive pitch, and you know, so I guess maybe the Cardinals do like knuckle curves. I that's saw a piece, of... um, I think it was Derek Gould, um, was talking about, um, m- was it Miko- Mikolas? Is that what he said? M- Mikolas? No, my Mikolas, yeah. Mikolas. Um, talking about Mikolas as basically rotation insurance. Um, should they have to um, send away pitching or uh, injury or anything like that? But he also talked about him as, as potentially competing for a rotation spot. Is that something that you feel like seems like a kind of a big jump from? I mean, his his statistics for what is it? Yomur, no, Yomuri. Is that how you say that? Yom, yomi Yomiuri. 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 Um, they were good, you know, like, but is there a, um, kind of rule of thumb for translating, um, generally MPB stats to MLB? Is it like kind of 80%? Or? Um, it's like triple A or triple somewhere between triple A and MLB. I mean, what, what's the level? I think it more depends more on individuals. Some players do well, do better, and some not so much. But um, usually pitchers tend to have uh, less drop-off when transitioning to NPB, from NPB to MLB, especially when they are relievers, which is not the case for Micros. So, yeah, so I think that some of the other guys coming over are definitely relievers. Although, uh, I mean, here's another name I'm going to mangle. Is it Waku? Waku? Wakui. Wakui. Yeah. See, I should. I need to learn. He's like the only guy other than Mikos who's a starter. The other guys, Hirano and Makita, which the Tool Company. <laughs> Those guys are that guy. Yeah, Stan. <clears throat> right. <laughs> That's true. But those guys are definitely relief pitchers. So. And they look pretty nasty. I mean, one of them throws basically underhand, and one of them looks like he has a really long, tall arm swing from the pictures I saw of him. So, I mean, some of these guys look like they can really pitch. Like, they're experienced closers. So I can absolutely imagine those guys coming over. I think a relief pitcher, two-pitch guy who's good in Japan is probably going to be a good two-pitch guy in the States. Starting that, I think, is... I think you're going to face more good hitters, I think, in the States than you are I mean, it, some of the guys you're facing in, MP, in MPB are MLB quality. 
there's no doubt. So you have to be able to get out guys who are that level. But you know, yeah. not up and down the lineup. I think it's I think it's a lot harder. So if you're not a guy with elite stuff, I mean elite stuff is going to play. So Darvish coming over, expect Otani to do fine throwing the ball 100 miles an hour. But Mikolas, I don't know. So what about these other guys? I mean, are, are any of them? Are you excited to see any of these guys come over to the state <clears throat> playing majors, or is it some of them sign of a fading dream? <laughs> or you know, um, of those three, um, I don't really see Wakui fitting in the big leagues. His stuff has declined. He's thirty-three, I think, and he's in his decline phase and. When he's not on his his approach, just insufferable to watch. Uh, one game I went to this past season, he gave up six home runs in four innings or so. That doesn't sound good. That won't play. That will not. No. Play. <laughs> That's not so, on his uh, promotional video. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> so with these guys or, or anybody else who's being posted, um, or are these international free agents? Uh, Hiran and Wakui uh, free agents um, marked will be posted. And is he under the same rules then as Otani, which is like the 20 million posting or max 20 million posting fee, or is it. Do you know? Uh, The older one, max 20 million, but uh, no one's going to pay that much. So these guys we're talking about may just end up. Signing contracts back in Japan again, but um, so Maki, so it's interesting. So Makita is a domestic free agent. He has the rights to test the market domestically. So, so his team, the Save Lions, are afraid of losing him for nothing. Uh, so they want to post him. Yeah. Would they would they have to sign him, or would they just own his international rights? Like, because if um, he's a if he's a free agent domestically, it would seem like was it? Did you say Cebu? Yeah, is, is the, the team? Yeah. So, um, in NPV players um reached um the required amount of service time, they don't automatically become free agents. They they have to declare free agency. Like, uh, like I want to test the market. Then, if, if a player doesn't declare, he's his uh, the light stays with his older team. Okay, so he can. That's interesting. <laughs> that's a, okay. So he can go through the process of, but he has to go through that process first. So Sebu basically has to hope no one signs him. And yeah. Then, then he comes back, and then they have to hope that someone will pay a posting fee. So yeah, that's a lot. So, are there any other guys that we've forgotten? I think you. Me- I didn't think you mentioned any names, but you said there's some other guys who basically have failed or are headed back <laughs> to states. Can I talk about Makita more? Yeah, please. Because because um, he's fascinating. Um, obviously the delivery. And his average veto is around 80 miles per hour, but it rises and sinks. He has uh, some nasty movement, and then he throws slider and curve according to some 
uh, track the data, but and uh, I think the curve is really tantalizing. It's a floater, and like it looks like it stays right above the plate for a couple seconds. Like it looks like it stops moving <laughs> completely altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so someone posted a video of the of him. I think it was, it was him striking out Lucas Duda. Was this the pitch, or was that a different? Uh, I think so. Okay, we'll have to put that link on the site. So you think that plays in the big leagues? Um. So I saw him pitch against uh, the Netherlands middle of more well, middle of the Netherlands lineup that. Featured some Profit, Xander Bogart, and someone else, Vladimir uh, Valentin, or someone. So it's a big league, legit big league regulars. Um, and Makita got out of the inning without any real problem, really dominated them. So Obviously, it's only one inning of sample, and but I think it has a decent chance to work out. There's guys like that who, you know, that throw like Ben Rowan, but there's guys yeah. who have more success like Sigler. <clears throat> yeah, ben you know. Rowan is my primary comp for Makita. So those those guys are actually a lot of fun. Now, yeah. didn't did, so okay. So Makita, did he? He was a starter originally. Was he throwing yeah. submarine then, or did he change his submarine? He's always been throwing submarine. So he was a starter that way. <clears throat> yeah. I got I, I need to find video of, of some of those. That that because because you know you just don't. That that goes against so much against old fashioned American conventional wisdom. Those guys are are gimmick relief pitchers now. It's amazing that more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so also uh Rob Manfred may want him to start every day because Makita works quickly. Uh, <laughs> his average pace is I think between five to six seconds. Like That's... so anti Pedro Baez. <laughs> Well then, I, I actually then support this guy coming over. Absolutely. Yeah, that pitch to Duda was bananas. I just watched it. It is. Uh, we'll definitely post a link to that because it is just kind of hangs out there a little bit. <laughs> How do you do that? <laughs> that's kind of like the uh, softball, like a Jenny Finch changeup. That's what. It's I'm, something that's what like I'm that. Picturing. Yeah, it's kind of what I'm picturing. Where you're thinking <laughs> she can throw hard. I don't think this guy throws as hard as she does. So there's something I know this is kind of a new thing, relatively speaking. If you want, if you're ready to move on from this guy, but you're you you've you've been involved with this website, so I won't let you plug it. Delta graphs where yeah. actually a ton of information, including war, with all the details. It's funny because we've been talking about war all the time on this show. And I will go over and look at your site. So why don't you tell us about Delta Graphs? And... Um, so we should have talked about well, we, the we'll website. Sort of... Why? No, why Ben was still here. 
I think he he wrote um, a fantastic piece about us. Uh, <laughs> um, so it was founded by a man by the name of Yusuke Okada, uh, who is a trailblazer in the singular trailblazer in this country's saber metallic scene. Without him, like we were, we would be like I don't know, twenty years behind. Um, so purpose of this website is to spread analytic saber methodics in the Japanese scene, which is still uh, heavily on traditional um, sense of judging players. Uh, so one start one start when uh, Japanese the traditional Japanese media use sites to um, evaluate pictures is wins. Still, wins is all that matters. And we... So, Mr. Okada and myself all alike, we want to change that landscape and educate the fans in Japan. It's also, I've, I've noticed that not all the sites, the glossary is not... There's no English translation there, but if you go to the site, you just check a box, and all the all the names and headings and everything appear in English. So for me, I was like, "This is great." <laughs> so this is not just going to be useful for folks in Japan. I think it's definitely going to be useful for folks here because you guys have provided the translation. So I mean, that, that that's really great. Yeah, but um, for me, <clears throat> they are still. Like we don't have uh, game logs and uh, split stats work for only certain leaderboards, standard leaderboards, and advanced. We can see like um, like I don't know, uh, play discipline stats in certain strike board counts. So and none we, of these things were available anywhere for NPP before. Yep. No, no, no. So we was uh, before this website. Uh, there were a few, few private uh, websites, but basically before the, the graphs, uh, Japan was uh, a saber metric wasteland. That's that's exciting because you actually can start, and it's even it will even go much faster once it gets going. The, the whole process that that's happened in, in, with American baseball in the last 20, 30 years. So that, that's good. That's, that's actually really, it's not just another baseball site. This is, this is a very important one. Yeah. But, um, I think we, we need to develop better ways to promote our stuff because, uh, at this point we are just, just like, um, so here are some advanced stats, which, are superior to standard stats but it's not like it's like i don't know um explaining explaining astrophysics to a dog (laughs) (laughs) i've tried i've never tried it have you i've I've had some smart dogs but i've never tried that doesn't work 
doesn't work. So, so is it? It's so there's been there hasn't been a uh, Bill James because this one things we notice on this show is so many people we talk to in various jobs and roles in this industry, like Bill James and his writing got them excited. So what I guess you know it's not just having the stats; it's having the uh, kind of like the lead voice, I guess, someone. Like the uh, anal- yeah. analysis to go with that too, right? But like, it's kind of, but it's the way it's not so much the analysis, but the way he writes. I see. And the engaging, you know, it makes it compelling stuff to read. Yeah. <clears throat> so the consensus is Bill James is better as a writer than a statistician. I mean, I mean, like the vast majority of stat heads, baseball stat heads, don't write murder mystery books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's sure. I think, and that's that's an important role. I mean, it's to have someone who, and really, the most popular writers aren't, you know, and and I think in American sabermetrics aren't aren't the statisticians. It's it's the ones who make good use of the data and stories. They're just really yeah. good storytellers. Yeah, and that's why when you read James, like I've noticed that. Like I mean, like I've said before, I, I I haven't read him extensively, but when I do read him, it's like this guy is like he, he makes you read. And there's like an you feel like there's an arc. It's like a there's some, like a momentum, like it moves you through the work. It's not like you're trudging through something. Um, even though he's making a point, he's doing something analytical. He's doing it in a very well, not quite conversational, but it's an engaging an engaging way and. It makes you want to read it, even if you don't agree with it. <laughs> it's like, it's so that's it, probably what someone, you know, who knows. But if you put the site together and put the data out there, that's what will happen. And if you promote it to the writing community, that, that's that, I don't know, that, that's probably where, where, where you've, you, know, you don't know who that person's going to be. Like Bill James was a night watchman, right? So, yeah. Who, yeah, who knows is going to be the Japanese Bill James. Kaz, are there a lot of, um, in terms of writers uh, in Japan, um, have, have many embraced sabermetrics or anything like that? Or, or are they, I know you mentioned the the baseball media is kind of stuck with wins and, and things like that. But are there any um, voices out there that, that write about or talk about Japanese baseball with a more sabermetric bent? Like a, like a 1997 Rob Nyer. There, there have been some, a few, but but there's no one like Lobnaya nineteen ninety seven or uh, I don't know, Boros and It's bound to happen. It's got. I mean, it's. I mean, yeah. it's not like it's a minor <laughs> sport. I mean, it's. It's a major. I'm sport. trying. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying. trying to be well, I don't know if we're going to have many listeners in Japan, unfortunately. But if there's a way we could help you, we will. You're the only guy I know in Japan. So, hey, Kaz, you should check out this Delta Grass website. It's really great. So we'll put the link up to it on the on the page because it's it's got a it's, it's got a funny. I couldn't find the URL. I found the URL by going to oh. the Twitter by going to the Twitter because the Twitter oh, yeah. is dumb. I'm like, I see yeah. found that the link's like io.jp or something. So. Maybe that's it. You need a better URL. There you go. We do have some some Japanese listeners, so it's a, it's a very small percentage, but 
Well, we do have some cast. <laughs> yeah. You got at least one. <laughs> it's cast. <You're> <laughs> He's downloaded it from two computers, one, you know, and that's why we have two listeners in Japan. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully, uh, you guys will have the success because that would be great too. Because that's really, you know, like what we did with Brooks Baseball. Like, yeah. People like use it and enjoy it and, and write it. Like, what happened with that was. And it's just what, what, what happened with fan graphs and, and you're this you're what you're talking about is a much broader, you know, base thing. So, so it's more akin to that. Um, but it's just, it's like you find a niche of writers who are like, oh, wow, this gives me something else to write about. So if you find writers who are in this kind of competitive, like they're trying to reach an audience and it, it's a competitive thing. It kind of feeds off. It's you know, if these guys start using the website, then they'll start talking about the information, which will then get people to use the website, which gets more. It's just so you know, if if they were offer you any advice, would would get get friendly with the writers, the beat writers, and start showing them stuff. Just send send them things, even like, hey, this is an, I read your piece today. This is interesting. That's probably the best way to promote it. So, and that's free. Uh, also, another way is uh, to collaborate with Adam BP, Fangraphs, some other um, advanced stats hubs to so, so Japanese people are really into his peers, um, players from players representing Japan. So they are, they <clears throat> literally read everything about Ichiro. Davish, Otani. So I think translating some of the articles into Japanese. The website, the data graphs itself, traffic and simultaneously BP's traffic. This is a good idea. Yeah. I like that. We're going to talk about more of that. behind a closed doors but no that's actually a really good idea we should do that because we'll meet well for one we should link to your stat pages and you know maybe borrow stats and because we we always you know like actually we 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 have we scrape mpb data we have a scraper that's been working turns out since 2012 robin q just fired up the other day because i want to see if you can project otani for me but we haven't done it yet uh, but we are going to have Pakoda projections for Otani. Uh, so, but you guys have a lot of information beyond just the, the raw stats and the game logs. Like I mentioned, there's war. There's like actual sabermetric goodness on that site. So it would make a lot of sense to crosslink. I think. Uh, so, anything that we can do to to share traffic would be cool. But you should also talk to our editor. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have an update on a future show about that. BP Japan. Yeah. BP Japan, yeah. We are in BP Espanol, which is great. So, yeah. Hey. Yeah. I can be EIC for BP Japan, obviously. <laughs> I don't have that kind of authority, but I'll recommend you. All right, so any other player nuggets you want to share with us, or have we... Uh... Okay, let's talk about the the other one, Yoshihisa Hirano. Yes. Um. So he's, he's a long-time closer for the... Rick Buffaloes, who throws, um, who sits in the low 90s with a devastating splitter and okay, um, occasional slider. 
<clears throat> name comes at them, but uh, he's like soon one O. Okay. In terms of his arsenal and age, skill set, talent level. And O was O was pretty. He's been pretty good. I mean, he he wasn't that great last year, but he was really good for his first season. So. And he's had yeah. Um, uh, my concern is he's had some um problems, and he was his staff was down last this past season due to some shoulder soreness, I think. That's never good. You don't want to hear about an older guy with shoulder problems. Shoulders are bad. Yeah. Because that's like, you expect the guy's shoulder to only have so many pitches in it. It's like when Zambrano, you know, when his shoulder started to go, it's like, uh uh-oh. Yeah. That's it. Game over. Yeah. I mean, you very rarely hear about guys. I mean, if it's minor, then, you know, it's minor. But how old is how old is Rano? Um, thirty three, thirty four ish. That's I'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> thirty three, thirty four, shoulder problems, losing stuff. Mm. The thing, the thing is, um, went the exact same sequence. Uh struggling with um, issues then he came back and the mightily then his stuff was back also then he had uh, um, problems again stuff uh, then comes back he he's basically repeated that process over the time so I'm optimistic <laughs> so he just it's just it's just a cycle okay all right we'll see. Someone also have to, you know, someone who, in a, who has to write a check is going to have to also be optimistic. And I think there's, I think, um, the terms show the issues. It's perceived differently in Japan than in the states. How so? So, um, like even if it's not that serious, and the media and the current report that um, like so on the so is being sidelined due to shoulder inflammation or elbow soreness. That stuff doesn't seem as serious in here. Are guys do you guys typically go out in a similar fashion in terms of their injury? Like if they whatever tear their labrum or you know whatever I mean I would imagine that the the diagnosis is still the same and then their future results are uh diminished similarly the, so is it is it just like the perception they just don't, pan- yeah, they uh, just don't panic like we do <laughs> yeah that, that really we we have to work on we don't really know how it works here so that's another research topic for us so you need to build a japanese injury database too yeah. So much information gathering. This actually, there's still frontiers in baseball. Yeah, and speaking of which, um, we don't really have a public financial database because um, players' salaries are not public. Uh, they are guest 
so like approximately uh like 100 million yen or something like that so instead of cots contracts it would have cots estimates <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you can Korean baseball is a weird thing where there's always these stories of extra money being paid. So, like, there's, like, the publicly, if there's the official contract, which they give out, like, the terms. You always hear about the specific terms of the Korean signing. But then there's always this, you know, wink. You know, there's also an additional contractual agreement. But in Japan, the whole thing is that that's, is there, okay, so let me ask a, a, a stupid question. I mean, why? Is that a cultural thing about you know, just being more uh, discreet about, you know, flaunting your wealth. Because, you know, it's American stereotype of, you know, how much money we're, we have and how much money we're spending on our players. Uh, George Steinbrenner, is that not something that's as prevalent in in, in the culture? Um, I think it's culture. I think in Japan, um, asking how much other people making is uh, considered rude or disrespectful to some extent. It generally is here, it, too, I think. I, mean, I, I don't know the difference, though. As, as you have not pitched in Japan, I have never lived or visited. <laughs> at, well, at least it was, uh, was the standard. It was seen as really disrespectful act 50 years or so ago um, then. So the the baseball industry is even more conservative than the rest of the society. That's similar to American baseball, where American baseball baseball is behind the rest of society (laughs) by about 60 to 70 years, I think. So... When do we break the color barrier here? So, yeah, that's not too different just further behind. That's kind of strange, though, because, I mean, really, with salaries, that was always a promotional thing. I, I don't think there's ever been secrecy about how much players were being paid. Right. Ever. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's the perception of, you know, the representing your team and, and having it be, you know, we're, we're spending a lot to bring you guys a winner and that kind of thing. Um, like you said, mentioned Steinbrenner kind of flashing. Yeah, it's part of the promotional. Yeah, you know. bringing in free agents and things like that. But if it's something that's considered culturally in bad taste to perhaps you know, talk about your how much you make, it's not your business what other people are making, you know, maybe that's, you wouldn't, wouldn't be seen as a positive promotional thing. It'd be like, that's gauche while you're bragging. Interesting. See, now I want to live in Japan for like 10 years so I can understand at least an iota of the culture. I don't think well, be... you can stay with cause. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived in Japan for 25 years and I still don't quite understand. The culture. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, I give up on that. <laughs> yeah. I don't even understand what's going on here. <sighs> All right. Well, I, I've actually done no, I think we've talked about everything. Have we talked? Did we miss any of these players? Like maybe we did miss a player. I think we got all the players. Okay. Well, then I guess we say thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Kaz, so much for joining us. And people can find you on Twitter. What's your Twitter Twitter handle? Uh, at Kazuto underscore Yamazaki. 
Cool, and we'll link that up as well. And besides working with me, you also write, and you you, you do write and publish some stuff in English, don't you? Um, I've published more stuff in English lately. Then uh, you can find my work at um, BP Greenville Beyond the Box Core, although I'm on hiatus for more than half a year. And also, I, yeah, years. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, I'm working on the chapter in the BP Annual next year. Great. Which that's awesome. What ch- what are you writing? Which one of the team about um, NPB and it's Japanese oh, baseballing. Awesome. <laughs> and then, yeah. That's gonna be a great addition to the annual. Thanks for having me on. Was yeah. really fun to to chat stuff baseball. Good, and uh, we'll we'll definitely uh, try and help promote your site. I'll, yeah. talk to, I'll talk to some people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks, Kaz. And, uh, well, enjoy the rest of your evening, I guess it is now. And then. Uh, it's we'll... still afternoon. Okay. So I think, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kaz. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Right, we are back, and we're going to wrap things up here on episode 14. Thanks again to Ben Limberg and Kazuya Masaki for joining us. Harry, what have yes. you learned this week? Um, I ran a poll on Twitter. Tell us about <laughs> it. Because that's, yeah, because uh, that's how I... It's, it's like something happens in Slack or something, I read something somewhere, I'm like, well, no, we, let's, let's ask people. So this one, this uh, what was the? I, there was one about how you uh, how you learn. What's the best way you learn, like a programming, like a skill, language, you know, yep. something? And, and this one was uh, what's the most important principle of open source software for you? And this came from Tango and Greg Matthews, also now known as Open War Guy, uh, had some discussions about the open source nature of Open War. And it was kind of confusing to me, but so it got me thinking about what 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 is the spirit of open source for people? And so I, I gave them three choices, you know, to express their full spiritual uh, nature. And it's like, what's what's the most important thing about open source software for you? Like a principle of it for you, you know. So it's right. like not not your favorite program, um, but you know, the one choice is that code is available. That you can actually go and get the code and you know see the code, do something with it. Just code is available for whatever purposes you may have. Another one is licensing options. There's there's a whole variety of, of uh, <clears throat> presumably better options for how you can license software. Uh, open source doesn't mean free necessarily. So basically, you know, from a uh, software development perspective or from a software procurement perspective or something like that, you may be interested in it. So I thought maybe some of my Twitter followers are of that mindset. And then the other kind of big thing is the community-driven aspect of it, which is not just the sharing of code, but also the uh, 
for example, except one of the benefits of community-driven software is you tend to get needs addressed or surfaced, requirements or upvoted that may not always get produced from an kind of internally traditional software kind of cloistery uh, development process. So the idea is that maybe people with disabilities or accessibility issues will be more likely addressed in software. Uh, just kind of the open nature of it, you know, it's just driven. So not surprisingly, that was one of the top picks because there are only three. So, you know, some of these things are going to be top picks. So code is available was 50% of the votes, literally 50 out of 100, exactly. And there were seven people said licensing, and the rest said community-driven development. But what was interesting was some of the... 43, yeah. So thanks for doing the math. That, yep. was, that was fast, too. Yep, yep. Uh, the people point out documentation is important. That was like more important in the code. Like sometimes, like, well, that's kind of weird. Like, you know, uh, got to be code to document. And he's like, well, yeah, but sometimes, just, but kind of made the point where maybe that's part of the uh, development process, the community nature of it is having it well documented. Right. Uh, people have talked about having test cases and data available. So it's just it's kind of like there's a lot of different things about it, and none of it was kind of the, the technical or, you know, this is the licensing. Nobody really seems to care about that. They pretty much just like, give me the code and let, give me a community. And that's that's what, you know, so we're to kind of bring it back to the original point was with the open war where Greg was like, hey, nobody's using it. It's like, well, there's probably not a community around it. You know, it's probably it's a great it, it's out there. People can get the code, but it, that, is that it? You know, like what, what else is you know? Yeah, it's documented. There's lots of you know, there's things written about it. But is there a community? Is there a you know? Is there a living, breathing nature to it? So I kind of realize because we talk about open sourcing things here, and we talk about the notion of having that type of community aspect as being secondary. It might not be. I mean, you got to have something to open source, got to have some code, but the community aspect might not be a secondary thing. It might be 1A. Yeah. You know, like you know one, one and 1A, you know, because don't bother open sourcing your code or your package or your whatever unless you also support a community. Yeah, are willing to invest in that community and make it easy for that community to kind of flourish and come up. Did you, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, do you have a, did you answer the poll? Uh, can you answer your own Twitter poll? I don't know if you can or not. But if you if you were to answer, uh, no, that. you can't. No, if I was to answer it, yeah, uh, code, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. My answers to my Twitter polls are code and do a project. Yes, yeah, which is how do I learn? Yeah, like not a book, not a class. Do a project. Okay, no, that's it. Yeah, Just actually, I, like I, I I don't know any languages, but I use some languages. Or abuse the languages, but definitely not a book learner when it comes to these things, for sure. Yeah, I think my answer was code as well, um, and that, that's kind of follows your logic too. In terms of uh, if it's if it's not there, it doesn't matter. But definitely the the pieces of software or tools or whatever that I've come to learn or use. Um, I think I've gravitated towards them because of the documentation um, and um, like ease of use. And like, I think being able to get started easily and jump in and do something. And that kind of goes back to your other Twitter poll about how do you learn is, is doing a pro for me as well as is doing something. So 
if I can grab your code and I, mm-hmm. there's a really good documentation on like, this is how you get started step by step by step. Then I'm way more likely to jump in and participate then if it's just like, yeah, here's the code. It's not really documented and, uh, you know, kind of good luck and we're not going to answer our issue queue or, you know, anything like that. So I think that kind of stuff is totally important. Yeah. I, I, I see what you're Yeah. It, it, and I think there's also, it's, there's a bit of a chicken and egg thing too. Like totally software doesn't get developed. There's no community to you know, so certainly you know, there's a definitely a difference between we've got something we're putting it out to okay let's all get together and decide what to do um i've i've had less exposure or no exposure i guess to that so i probably need to start shifting my thinking about that because we you know, we're it's not like the highest priority for us yet but it's definitely something that's going to happen sooner than later where we start managing you know open source things in earnest, not just here's some code attached to an article, but you know, just really do it right because nobody's going to do it unless you unless you build around it. You build up, they will come type of thing, right? Yeah. So, well, okay, there we go. It's going to be called the Field of Dreams Open Source Community. Uh, it's going. <laughs> you branding is done. Yeah. Right, well, check. What'd you What'd you learn this week, Mister Gannett? Uh, well, it's kind of a it, it's on a similar track as that. Um, so. I am a WordPress developer, and um, this week my company sent me to WordCamp, which is the national conference for WordPress, and uh, learned a ton of stuff there, which was awesome. Um, but specifically, I this one, this one time at WordCamp, exactly. Um, she totally blew it by not starting out the I story. Know. I, uh, it was in Nashville, which was actually Nashville is a very, oh. very cool town. Um, it was fun. I like that show. But we did you uh, see any live? Did you see any live music? I don't want to hear your story. I want to hear. Did you see any good shows? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We we did. We um, went down on Broadway and hit up a few honky tonks. Awesome. And, uh, it was really really interesting to just um, like you walk down the street and there's music coming out of every single yes. bar and it's yes. kind of kind of it's overwhelming. So cool and extremely cool um so yeah we saw some good live music uh definitely would recommend roberts on broadway um that's the one that i can remember specifically um it was super fun um but anyway so you were in nashville i was in nashville and uh so the last day the so the conference was uh friday and saturday and then the sunday is is called contrib day which is basically um where the maintainers of the different parts of WordPress, which is a open source um, content management system. So the maintainers of the different parts of, of that piece of software uh, come together and um, people just kind of work on it. So I was able to sit down with some folks and learn how to contribute. And uh, so I, I did I did my part and I was able to actually... Um, get some code merged into a project that I use professionally. And so that was uh, very cool. It was, I was pretty stoked to um, be able to just kind of jump in and get something. And it was something very minor. It was just like some documentation, but now I kind of know the workflow and, 
and able mm-hmm. to be able to do that. And so um, I look forward to contributing more. And uh, I, I thought that that was just a really cool thing and um, kind of speaks to some of the stuff that you were talking about earlier about uh, community and um, just working together. And, you know, WordPress started 14 years ago and now runs 30% of all websites on the web. And so it's like a small, you know, piddly open source project can turn into this massive thing. Um, it's pretty cool. So that's, that's awesome. what I learned. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. I think then well, what we got winter meetings next week. So winter meetings. Do you, so I have a question for you, Harry. Do you think that uh-huh. we will, before the winter meetings start, which is, do they start the 10th or 11th or something like that? Is it the beginning of next week? I think it's Monday. Monday, okay. Um, I think. By then, I'm not going, so I don't. I yeah. Don't know exactly. By then, do you think one Mike Giancarlo Stanton Giancarlo will be will be traded, and two, do you think we'll know where Shohei Otani is going to sign? I think the answer is to both of those will be yes. I think we're going to know where Stanton is. You know, Dodgers and. Uh, Maybe they'll both be on the Dodgers. <laughs> that would be something, wouldn't it? Would yeah, no, that's actually... I think we're going to know. I, I think we're absolutely going to know before the winter meetings. I mean, Otani has seen all his presentations. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> at the same token, Stanton, I believe, has met with the, the teams that are interested in him. So... I know he's met with the Cardinals and the Giants. Has he met with the Dodgers yet? I don't know for sure, but that's been so quiet yeah. when the Dodgers. Yeah. I suspect he's met with them by now, because it's or he's meeting with them eminently. I, I, that's true. I don't know for sure, but I I don't think we're hearing about it. But we've kind of just heard that the Dodgers are involved. There hasn't been as much confirmation. But my mm-hmm. assumption is, if he hasn't done so, then possibly this is Wednesday night, by the way, or, or Thursday afternoon in Japan. Uh, by our Thursday here in the States, I would suspect those meetings are going to be complete. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this all, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking this goes into the weekend. Like, this is this is Thursday, Friday news. Yeah. So it's I, quite possible by the time this podcast is posted. Yeah, some for of this sure. Is answered. And I think it's going to be interesting because I think things are going to move very quickly after those two. That's what everybody's well. saying. Yeah. yeah. There's, like, been no trans. There's been no transactions. There's a lot of... They've been minor transactions. Yeah, I mean, this, but the Let's number has been Mike Miner. Miner, yeah, I made that joke already on Twitter, oh, so I would complete complete I with the David Russo sunglass emoji, and every nobody wasn't see on Twitter. <laughs> Everybody has me on mute. It's justifiable, but the definitely have a yeah, Mike Miner, Miles Nicholas, and that's basically. Oh, there's people like moving international signing money. TJ McFarland. I mean, come on, Harry. Uh, Major well, I moves. Miss, I, miss, I miss that one. So, yeah, it's all going to be happening. So probably by, you know, next week we'll probably have to do like some type of transaction wrap-up. Yeah, end of winter meetings. There you go. Uh, yeah, so, all right, that's what we'll do next week. There you have it. All but right. thanks to Kaz and Ben. That was cool. Yeah, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Goodbye, baseball! Oh, <laughs>